team are settling into their spots, I want to introduce our guest preacher for this morning and pray to get us kicked off in our week of Global Impact Conference, GIC for short. For those who are new to the Longview Point family, maybe it's your first year being a part of our GIC, You're, you are uh, on, the, on the verge of a week of great blessing. I, I sort of see our GIC as uh, sort of uh, along the same lines as when churches used to do a Sunday through Wednesday revival. It's just a time of us uh, focusing our attention, um, it, working to alleviate the mission drift that inevitably happens in local bodies and in the hearts of believers. It is so easy to get so many things on our plate, on the radar, that we can fail to see the main thing as the main thing. And so this week on our church calendar serves as a reminder of, of what is most important, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, relishing the treasure that we have in God's only son, who is Jesus. We are fortunate this morning to have Matt Carter as our guest preacher. Matt was founding pastor of Austin Stone uh, out in Austin, Texas. You'll hear some about that in this morning's message and is currently serving as vice president with the North American Mission Board. If you give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, that is a considerable part of, of Matt's responsibility with the North American Mission Board. Back during COVID, we sort of collapsed two conferences into one. It used to be that every other year there was a church planning conference and then annually the Global Impact Conference. But because of COVID and all of the insanity that ensued during that whole experience, those two conferences became one. And so now every other year in the odd number of years, we bring our church planners back and those who have been a part of our network of church plants and planners that we have partnered with are, are back and able to be with us. So it's kind of a natural connection that Matt would, would be here and be a part of this. Back in December of last year, Jason and I were in South Asia and had the chance to work with uh, some team associates who were attached to IMB personnel in South Asia. And one of them shared um, they were from Austin Stone. One of them shared that if the church were a, not a church, but a mission sending agency alone, it would be among the largest in the world. And so we began to have conversations about sending culture and what they were doing at Austin Stone and sort of making observations from some distance. And so naturally, when the opportunity to bring Matt here as our guest preacher for the GIC uh, came about, it, it just seemed like a, a good connection that the Lord had set in place for us. So we're excited about being able to host him this morning. I want to, I want to lead us in prayer and I want to caution you against what we have such a strong propensity to do. Procrastinating, quenching the work of God's Holy Spirit. I, I, I hope that this morning as we embark upon this week of conferencing together, that you'll just put your yes on the table, break down your pride, surrender to the Lord's direction, Pray that daring and dangerous prayer, not my will, but your will be done. And just entrust your, your future, your ambitions, your hopes, and your dreams to the Lordship of Jesus Christ over all things. Let's ask that he give us a teachable spirit and a leadable heart. Let's pray. Father, we do in fact ask, Lord, what may be in truth disconnected from the reality of our heart's posture that your will would be done in us, even as it is in heaven. Where our wants and desires come short of that holy standard, God, I, I pray that you would move us and stir our affections for your son, Jesus. Help us to behold him, to count him as bearing greater value 
than any of our worldly hopes, dreams, ambitions, or even life itself. Help that we would want to be brought nearer your son Jesus than anything in this world. I pray that you would anoint Matt to preach your word with power. Be pleased to use his message, God, to move us in a Godward direction. And may your son Jesus receive all the glory and praise. We ask it in the power of his name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Hey, it is, uh, it's an honor to be with you at this church this morning. Uh, again, my name is Matt Carter. I'm Vice President of North American Mission Board. And uh, man, it's an honor to be here. I've enjoyed getting to know Pastor Wade. I get to preach all over the country, and so you meet a bunch of pastors, and sometimes you connect with them, and, and, and sometimes you don't. I knew we were going to be friends because uh, I came in and, and, I, and was in his office and I asked to use the restroom there, went back to the restroom in his office, and over his toilet is a poster that is a poster of Greek verbs, and just list them out. I'm like, that's commitment right there. I like this guy. Did y'all know that? <laughs> that your, your pastor uh, studies Greek verbs uh, while he's in, in the restroom there. And then, then I found out he was a, a hunter. I was like, all right, this guy's awesome. And so it's, it's so good to be here. This is the third time I've preached today. And so uh, I'm going to try to get through this as best I can. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. That's Matthew 28, verse 19. We'll get there in just a minute. So if you want to put your... Mark it there. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We're going to have the, uh, the scriptures behind me. But here's what I'm going to do quickly this morning is I'm going to share with you guys three reasons why you as an individual and that us as a church should engage in the Great Commission. All right? I'm going to say that again for those of you looking up Matthew 28. I'm going to give you three reasons why you as an individual believer... And us as a church should engage in the Great Commission. I think it's important to remind our hearts of that. Because while most of us would know the Great Commission, we could probably um, quote it by heart. Not many of us get up in the morning with a white hot passion to go fulfill it. But we're going to talk about why it is important that all of us engage at some level with the filling of the Great Commission the first reason I want to give you is very easy. It's very simple. It's very straightforward on why if you're here today and you're a Christian, you'd raise your hands and say, yes, Matt, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. Why you should in Great Commission, number one, real super simple, is that Jesus commanded us to. He commanded us to. You know, Jesus said a lot of things during his three-year earthly ministry. Um, everything that came out of his mouth was vital and was important. But if you were to ask me the question, like, Matt, what are the top couple of things Jesus said in regards to importance? I would say that the number one, in my opinion, number one most important thing Jesus said was John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's why Jesus came. The message that he came to die on a cross, pay the penalty of our sin, we trust in a Jesus then we're saved and we go to heaven when we die. Be in a relationship with God. That's, that's the most important thing Jesus said. But then, the, in my opinion, the second most important thing Jesus said was how that message of the gospel would go throughout all the earth. How, how's it going to get out? How are we going to get the message out? And that's Matthew 28, 19. Let's read it together. This is Jesus speaking. 
One of the last things he says before he ascends into heaven, he's died on a cross at this point, he's raised from the grave, and then he looks at his disciples and says this. He's saying it to them and to us. He said, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing I want you to hear today. Is that word go right there. Go ahead and look at it if you don't mind. That word go right there. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Church, that's not a request. That's a command. An imperative command from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus wasn't doing. Jesus wasn't saying there, you know, hey, if you think about it, when you get done with college and you find somebody to marry, you know, maybe join a church and, and at least come once or twice out of a, a, a month and make sure you join the church softball team. And, 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 and if you have a chance, if you get real, really fired up after a particular sermon, go out and share the gospel with your neighbors if you think about it. That's not what he was saying. He's speaking to anyone who would claim his name, who would be one of his followers, and he's saying, look, this is the call and the command that is on your life. Go and make disciples of all the nations. And when I say it's on all of our lives, that's important to remember. Because I don't know about you, but when I was growing up and when I was in college and before God... God got hold of my life, I, I just sort of thought in the back of my mind that, that the Great Commission was reserved for pastors and missionaries. That there's this group of people that were kind of the, the super Christians that God called, and, and they were preachers and missionaries and worship leaders and things like that, and that was kind of their responsibility to tell everyone about Jesus. But Jesus isn't talking to pastors and missionaries. He's talking to us. He's talking to us. As a matter of fact... It's the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, probably the greatest preacher outside of Jesus that's ever lived. He was a pastor in the 1800s in England, and he had a quote. I think it's, it's convicting, but it's good. Pastor Spurgeon said this. He said, as a Christian, you are either a missionary or you're an imposter. As a Christian, you're either a missionary or you're an imposter. And what his point is, is that biblically speaking, when you look at this book, what he's saying is there's no such thing as a Christian that doesn't engage in some level in the Great Commission. That, that the Bible is not okay with us just coming to church and singing some songs and listening to sermons and going on with our life, but not in any shape, form, or fashion engaging with the Great Commission. And at the end of the day, that makes a ton of sense. And here's why. Because if the gospel is true, which I'm convinced to the core of my being that it is, um, and if hell is real, which I'm convinced in the core of my being that it is, that if there really was a guy named Jesus who was God in the flesh that lived a perfect life, that died on a Roman cross to pay the penalty of my sins so that I could receive his righteousness, and trust in him and spend eternity in heaven. And if I don't, then I'll be separated with God from God forever. If that's really true, then what other response do we have? But to say, Jesus, yes, I'll obey your command. That's number one. Here's number two. This is a little bit different. You may never thought about it. 
Uh, I didn't come up with this. I had a, um, a worship pastor, not a worship pastor, but a, but a missions guy on my staff that I heard say this one time, and I was like, that's a, that's a good point. But the second reason that we need to engage all of us in the Great Commission is this, is that those people out there in all the nations that Jesus said that we're supposed to engage and go reach and make disciples, those aren't just random people. But many of them are future brothers and sisters in Christ that you'll spend eternity with. Have you ever thought about that? That there's people right now in South America, there's people in Africa, there's people in, in Southeast Asia, there's people in the Middle East, there's people in Europe, there's people all over the world that do not know Jesus. But they're going to hear the message at some point, and they're going to die, and they're going to go to heaven, and then you and I are going to spend forever with them. Eternity is a long time. It's hard for us to get our minds around. We're talking about trillions of years. You're going to spend trillions of years with these people in, in perfected states and glory, which means that you're going to know them more than you know your own family right now. It means you're going to love them as much or more than you love your own family right now. Those people out there that don't know Christ yet, many of them are future brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus that don't know him yet, and it's up to us to go tell them. I mean, think about it. If you had a brother or you had a sister, how many, raise your hand. How many of y'all have a brother or sister? Raise your hand real fast. I, I, have, a, I have a cousin that's like my, my brother. I have a sister, and, and, and we're tight, but I'm super tight with my cousin. Our moms are identical twins, and he's, he's just my best friend, and Man, if, if one of your brothers and sisters was lost, like if you got a call one day and found out they were missing, how would you respond? Like if somebody called and said, hey, Matt, your cousin Chris, we can't find him. We don't know where he is. He's been gone for three days. I'm going to tell you what I wouldn't do. What I wouldn't do is if I was sitting there at my desk when I got that phone call, I wouldn't hang up and... And, and, and just simply start praying, Lord, would you please raise up someone to go help find my, my best friend and cousin? I wouldn't pull out my checkbook and go, you know what I need to do? I need to write a check to make sure somebody goes out and finds my cousin. I love him. He's one of my best friends. And I would do everything in my power in that moment to get engaged in making sure that my cousin, my, my brother, my best friend is found. And we don't think about those people. They're just folks in South America. They're just folks in China. We don't think a bit about them as brothers and sisters that you're going to know and love as much as do your current ones that are out there. We got to go find them. And we got to tell them about Jesus. And here's the third reason. Here's another reason. There's another one that, that we don't think about very often. And, and, I, and I say that because, you know, I'm a, I was a pastor for 20-something years, and now a guy that's working for North American Mission Board, responsible for planting churches, and I don't think about it very often. But here's the third reason that you and I need to be actively obeying the command to engage in the Great Commission. Here it is. Number three is that right now, if you're a believer, inside of you is all the power you will ever need to fulfill the Great Commission or your part in it. If you're a believer here today, here's what that, that tells us. There was a moment where you trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior. All your sins are forgiven, right? Every sin you'd ever committed, every sin you're ever going to commit. In that moment, 
You're forgiven. You receive the righteousness of Christ. You're adopted into the family of God. There's where that brother and sister thing comes in. But there's one other thing that happens in the moment of your salvation is that God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And y'all with me so far? Y'all know that? Okay. And so the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, which means he's God. And Jesus himself said that the Holy Spirit is not just going to be with us. He says the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. If you're a Christian today, I think we forget. I know we forget. You have inside of you, according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit of the living God, which means this, that if you're a believer, you have inside of you the power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave. You have inside of you the power of the resurrection of Christ that lives in you. The question is, are you raising your hand saying, God, I, I want to be a vessel that the Holy Spirit uses to impact the world for your kingdom? Um, there's, a, there's a verse that I love. I love this verse. I want to show it to you real fast. Ephesians 3.20. And it's, it's, a, it's a verse that I actually have a, I have a, a painting of it over my desk because I want to remind myself of it every single day. And it's Paul reminding the church about the power they possess. Right? Y'all ready for this? Look at the first part of that. Paul says, now to him. And so it's a benediction, but in this benediction, he's sort of talking about the power of God. He's talking about what God is able to do. Like the power God has to do stuff. And you got to figure he's pretty powerful because he's God, right? Well, watch what Paul says. He's going to describe what God is able to do. He says, now to him who is able to do, and then Paul uses three words to describe the power of God. He uses three words to describe what God is able to do in his power. And he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. Now, Pastor Wade is the Greek scholar. I'm not. Paul could have easily, simply just said, now to him who is able to do more than all we could ask or think. And he would have got his point across. It's like, whatever you could ask or think of, God's able to do more than that. And we get the point. But he doesn't say that. He says, now to him who is able to do far more, and he could have ended right there. Hey, I want you to know something, guys. God is able to do far more than anything you could ask or think. And he would have gotten his point across. God's powerful. He can do far more than you can ask or think. But he keeps going. He's like, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. It's like a word salad in the Greek because he's trying to convey to you that, listen, whatever it is you can ask or think of, your God is able to do far more abundantly than you can ever, ever dream. But let's think about those two words, ask or think. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than anything you could ask for. Let me ask you a question. If you and I were sitting down, having coffee together, and I ask you this question. I want you to think about how you'd answer it. If I were to ask you, hey, if God promised you that the answer was yes, and you could do anything in the world you wanted to for Christ to build his kingdom, and God could use your life to impact the kingdom of God and fulfill the Great Commission, what would you ask for? If God promised you the answer was yes, and you could ask God to use your life in any way you wanted to, to impact him, what would you ask him for? You ever thought about that? 
Maybe that's something you ought to think about. Well, what Paul's saying is you need to understand something, church. Whatever it is that you might ask God to do through your life to impact the kingdom, our God is able to do far more abundantly than anything you could ever ask for. But he doesn't stop there. He says one other thing. He said, now to him who was able to do far more abundantly than anything you could ask or think. And so let me ask you one other question. Like if in your wildest imagination of what God could use your life for to impact the kingdom, to get the message of the gospel out, spread the name of Christ and fulfill the great commission. What is like in your wildest imagination God could use your life for? What would you say? Like, What Paul is saying is, look, whatever it is that you can conjure up in your brain that God might use you for in this life, our God is able to do far more abundantly than anything you could ask or think. And then he drops a nuclear, theological nuclear bomb on us at the end. Watch what he says. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than anything you could ask or think according to the power at work within Billy Graham. Oh, that's not what he said? Oh, okay, maybe. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within Pastor Wade. Oh, that's not what he said? What did he say? Oh, yeah. Now, I'm looking at the screen back there. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than anything we could ask or think according to the power at work within, say it with me, us. <laughs> He's talking to church folk. He's not talking about pastors here. He's not talking about missionaries. He's not talking about evangelists. He's talking about you, Christian. His believer, I need you to know something. You have a power inside of you that's bigger than your wildest imagination. The question is, are you going to be a vessel that God uses it through? That's it. Let me tell you a story and show you a quick video and we'll be done today. I got, I got to see with my own eyes as a pastor, God fulfill and be true to this verse in the church that I planted. Got to see God just use normal, everyday people that were one day sitting in the pews and the next day God was using them in ways they never imagined or dreamed. Your pastor explained it to you briefly. Um, I'm the founding pastor of a church called the Austin Stone Community Church in Austin, Texas. It started, I was a, a youth pastor, and through a long story, I got the opportunity to start a church. It was through the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, which means it could be anywhere in Texas, but it had to be in Texas. And so I looked at Dallas, I looked at Fort Worth, I looked at Houston, I looked at... Um, Looked at San Antonio. I wanted to go anywhere in Texas but Austin, Texas. And why? 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 Because Austin is like the armpit of Satan. You know, it's like it's this, it, like Texas is the sea of conservative red. And then there's a little br bright blue dot right in the middle of Texas called Austin. It's a little piece of San Francisco right in the middle of Texas. And um, it's, it's this crazy pagan place. Um, I had only been there one time in my life. This is a true story. 
I'd only been there one time in my life when I was in college. Went there for a bachelor party with a bunch of my buddies. And I, I was there maybe a total of three hours and I got shot at with a gun. Like a dude shot at me. He missed, obviously. But uh, that was the first thing that happened. And then me and my buddies almost got in a street fight with a University of Texas fraternity. I'm like, this place is from the devil, right? And so how did I end up in Austin? Well, believe it or not, um, when I was a youth pastor, the guy that was leading worship at the church I was at was a guy named Chris Tomlin. Y'all ever heard of Chris Tomlin? Pretty famous worship leader dude, wrote How Great Is Our God. And uh, I knew him. We were kind of friends because he, I preached at the service that he led worship at. And I found out I was going to get to plant a church somewhere in Texas and, and told him about it. And, and um, anyway, several days later, we were getting ready. I was getting ready to preach on a Sunday. And, and um, anyway, I told Chris about it. He's like, man, I'm sorry. We hate to lose you. But then like the next Sunday, I was getting ready to preach. He came walking up to me like he had to tell me something. He put his hands on my shoulder. And he said, Matt, I couldn't sleep last night. I was like, wow, what's up, man? He's like, I want to go with you to plant a church. And I want to go to Austin, Texas. And I look, true story. I'm not trying to be funny. It's not like a preacher joke. I looked at him and I said, first of all, because this is like the greatest worship leader in the world. And they just offered to come start a church with me. That's pretty cool. And so I looked at him and I said, first of all, I would love for you to plant a church with me. And number two, there's no way in Sheol we're going to Austin, Texas. But anyway, we ended up in Austin. And so crazy, crazy pagan place. We went there and we started on Congress Avenue, which is just the main street right in the middle of downtown where the Capitol is. And and I was just crazy enough to go think that I could go into the middle of Sheol and, and preach this book and God would reach people for Christ. But before that first Sunday, I want y'all to know something. I was scared to death. I was 27. I didn't know what I was doing. Had three little kids that I was responsible for feeding. And I just walked away from a pretty decent paying youth pastor position that I, got, I could actually feed my family with. It was awesome. And moved to some pagan place where I didn't know anybody and was going to start a church. Didn't know if anybody was going to show up. A couple nights before our first service, I couldn't sleep. I was so nervous. My wife was asleep. My three babies were asleep. And, and I got up, and I went to the living room, and I remember I got on my knees, kind of had my face on the couch, and I prayed this prayer, and this prayer just came out of me. I didn't know at the time that it was probably the Holy Spirit being a little prophetic in that moment. But I just, it just came out of me. I prayed this prayer. I was like, God, would you do something so big through this church that years from now, when we look back at it, the only explanation for how it happened, God, is that you did it. God, would you do something so big? Big through this church that years from now, as we're looking back, God, at, at, at what happened through this church, that the only explanation of how that even happened was, God, you showed up in power. I was asking him to do something so big that you couldn't explain it away by preaching. I was asking him to do something so big that you couldn't explain it away by having Chris Tomlin as your worship leader. And it came out of my mouth, but I didn't even realize that a 
About 10 short years later, he was going to answer that prayer in ways I never could have asked or imagined. About nine years in, we were growing like crazy. It was mostly college kids, a lot of young adults, um, which is great. The only, I mean, like college kids, they serve like crazy. The problem is they're poor. They don't have any money to tithe, you know. And uh, true story, we were passing the plate one time, and I and it went past me, and there was a Chick-fil-A gift card in the plate. And I'm like, I'm like, man, somebody just gave a lot, you know. Um, they're not eating lunch today, but Jesus, you know, you know, and so... And, and I had this guy, one of, my, one of my young pastors came into my office one day. He said, Pastor Matt, I'd love to meet with you. I feel like I've got this vision, not like a, an actual vision, but like a, some you know, strategy from the Lord I want to share with him. I'm like, okay. And he came in and said, Pastor Matt, here's what I'm thinking God's calling us to. He said, I feel like God is calling us to raise up 100 full-time vocational missionaries from our church to send away from our church for two years to unreached people groups. Okay? Now, to help you get your mind around that, that's a lot of folks in the church that I grew up in. First Baptist Athens, Texas, and East Texas. Um, I was there 18 years from nine months before I was born to the day I graduated. And I was there 18 years. We sent one missionary in that time. It was to like Mexico or something. So this, this cat comes into my office saying, I feel like God's calling us to raise up 100 people from our church to go for two years as a full-time vocational missionary to an unreached people group and to do that over the next decade. Well, if you don't know what an unreached people group is, that's a country or a region or a group of people that has less than 2% Christianity, okay? That's where you go if you want to get martyred is, is you go to unreached people groups. And in the back of my mind when he said that, you know, even though I'd prayed that prayer before, in the back of my mind, when he said the vision, in, in the back of my mind, I'm like, that's never going to happen. But just as soon as I thought that, I don't see that happening. Maybe over 40 years, not, not 10. As soon as he said that, I, I believe that the Holy Spirit brought that, that prayer back to my mind. God, would you do something so big? That years from now, when we look back on it, the only explanation for how it happened, God, is that you did it. And so I looked up at him and I said, all right, here's the deal. Six months from now, I'll do a three-week series on going to the nations. You get the systems together. We'll do it. We'll, we'll see what happens. Six months went by. I did a three-week series on it. On the last night of the series, we held an informational meeting. We had four services, 9, 11, 5, and 7. And after the 7 o'clock service, we were going to have an informational meeting for anybody interested in leaving their homes, um, leaving Austin, Texas, leaving the U.S., leaving their jobs, and going to some crazy place around the world in the name of Christ for two years. And guys, I thought maybe 10, maybe 15 people might show up to that informational meeting. Well, I said amen and walked, you know, after preaching, walked out and, and started walking down the hallway where our meeting was going to be. And I saw this kid, this pastor, I saw a kid who was like 23, whose, whose idea this was, God gave the vision to. And he's running down the hallway with this worried look on his face. And I'm like, oh, man, what, what's going on? And he looked at me and he said, Pastor, we had to change rooms. I go, what do you mean we had to change rooms? And he said, well, we, we had a room set up for 50 people and we filled it up and we had to go to a different room. I looked at him and I said, where did, where did y'all move the room to? And he said, 
the auditorium, we have 523 people in there. And so, yeah, but it, it, like, it gets better. I'm like, what? He said, yeah, man, we've got five, we just counted. They're still coming in. He's like, 523 people are there. I'm like, 523 people, are they nuts? Like, that was kind of the beginning of God answering the prayer. Well, I, I would be honest with you as I start landing the plane here. I, like, I, God did not fulfill our vision over the next 10 years to send 100 people to unreached people groups for two years as full-time vocational ministry. As a matter of fact, God did far more than we could ever ask or think. According to the power at work in us, it was eight years that the goal was fulfilled, but he didn't send 100, sent 300 and something full-time vocational missionaries over eight years from our church to unreached people groups around the world. There was, one night I was laying in bed thinking about it, and I mean, we literally had missionaries at the moment all the way around the world, and I thought, how cool is it that the sun never sets on the ministry of this church that God let me be a part of? God answered the prayer. God, would you something so big? Many years, look back, and the only explanation is that you did it. I'll tell you this last thing before I show you this quick video. One of the last things I did as a pastor there, God called me to do a church revitalization in Houston. And I had never seen any of the actual statistics from the hundred, we called it the hundred people network. I'd never seen any of the statistics of the 300 and something missionaries. And, and so I was like, all right, I want to, I want to see some stats. And I was telling Pastor Wade earlier, like, I'm a, I'm a, kind of a stat nerd, and I like accuracy. I don't like Southern Baptist stats. Like, I like real stats, you know? And so I was like, hey, don't give me Southern Baptist stats. I want to know what was really happening out in the field. And so they started running all the data and all that, and a few weeks later, they handed me the piece of paper, and when I saw what I saw, I started weeping. In 2018 alone, it's not counting the other years, just one year, 16,855 intentional spiritual conversations. 601 Bible studies were started out of those spiritual conversations. In other words, out of those conversations, 601 got together and began to study the Bible. And this is when it starts getting really good. In 2018 alone, 342 new churches were planted among the unreached through our church. And that one year, one year alone, 2,800 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ as, as their Lord and Savior. And I'm going to tell you why I started bawling. That's a lot of people. What started bawling is that more people got saved around the world through our missionaries than even went to our own church when God gave us the vision. That, that, that's far more abundant than anything they could ask or imagine. That's a lot bigger than we can explain by preaching or, or whatever. So the Sunday that we ended up getting that hundredth person to sign up to go, we showed a video. It's like two and a half, three minutes. I want to show you to you real quick and I'll pray. At the Austin Stone, we talk a lot about being on mission. We believe we're joining God's plan for redeeming this city. 
and we believe we're being sent by God as missionaries here. We also believe that we're being sent to the nations where there's little to no presence of the gospel at all. So in the fall of 2009, we asked everyday ordinary people from the Austin Stone to step up to a great task, to go and participate in God's mission to renew and redeem unreached people groups, to go to people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ, to go in order to be obedient to the Great Commission, to go to the ends of the earth at great risk to their comfort, their security, and even their lives. Teams of goers, senders, and mobilizers are all taking part in what God is doing at the Austin Stone and around the world. We prayed and asked God to send 100 people from our church to go, and God answered our prayers. Hi, I'm Max. I'm Ronnie Bush. My name is Brianna. My name is Molly. We're the Albrights. I'm Paul. And I'm Jeanette. Fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, sons, daughters, businessmen, doctors, lawyers, teachers, artists, college students, and people from all walks of life woke up to the daunting reality of leaving all that was familiar, all that was known, and are joining God's mission to make disciples of all nations. And we are going to be serving the people of Central Asia. We're going to serve the people of South Asia. I'm going to serve the people of Taiwan. I'm going to serve the people of Southeast Asia. The people of the Middle East. We're going to South Asia. I'm going to serve the people of Central Asia for two years. For two years, for an indefinite amount of time. And I'm number one. And I'm number two. We're numbers five and six. 10 and 11, 28 and 29, 35 and 36, 63 and 64. I'm number 100 of the 100 people. Will you join me? Will you join me? Will you come join us? Will you join us? Will you join us? Will you join us? inside of you, the power that is far more abundant than anything you could ask or think. Will it be easy? No. Matter of fact, one of the people on that video, that the guy that leaned over in the airplane, kissed his wife on the cheek, he's no longer with us because he was martyred. He was killed in a crazy place for his faith. But is Jesus worth it? 
He is. How's God going to use that power through you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these dear people. I thank you for this church. And Lord, I want to end this time where I handed off Pastor Wade and just ask a simple request of you. Father, I pray that you would use these folks and use this church in ways that is bigger than they could ever ask for or imagine. And we ask it for one reason, that your name would be glorified in all the earth. And so we ask that in the name of Christ, Jesus. Amen.